is that Jonah is a legend. <clears throat> it's just a fable. It's just it's, it's something that did not really happen, but it's a story that's concocted to teach true truths about God, but it did not really happen. Now, I don't have time to go into trying to convince you. I'm sounding very echoey. Eh? Uh, it's not my fault. Um, I don't have time to convince you why, uh, of all the evidence, why we can believe that it is true. But just note how Jesus himself speaks about Jonah. He says, he refers to the sign of Jonah. He refers to the men of Nineveh. How the men of Nineveh will stand in judgment against uh, the, the, the present crowd he's talking to. So, I mean, don't you think it would be very crass of Jesus to use people who were imagined and made up as a way to threaten the crowd he was talking to. No, no, obviously Jesus believes that Jonah, what was captured there, what we just read, really happened. Now, my fear is not that we entertain thoughts that Jonah is just a legend, but that we hold the message of Jonah at arm's length, even though we may say we believe that this really happened. Let's pray and ask God to help us. This might not be the case. Father, we pray and we look to you because we acknowledge that only you can so change our hearts that what you have prepared for us here in this short but challenging book. Father, please help us to truly hear, truly be convinced of the message you have for us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please have your Bibles open to chapter 1. We will take uh, the express route okay, through the book of Jonah. So you see at the beginning, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And God commands Jonah, okay, go to the great city of Nineveh. Now in what way is Nineveh great? Well, he tells us it's great because of its wickedness. Now, so the word of God clearly comes to Jonah, but what does Jonah do? Jonah does what no other prophet in the Bible has ever done. Okay, receive a clear word of God, and in the face of it, defy. He turns and runs. So chapter two, uh, verse 3 tells us, But Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tashish. See, three times, okay, in the original, it says, Jonah went to Tashish, Tashish, Tashish. Why does the writer repeat it so many times? Tell us three times. Because he wants to get across to us, geographically, what was happening spiritually. Because Tashish is at the opposite end of Nineveh. Jonah was commanded to go 800 kilometers uh, northeast towards Nineveh. But instead, Jonah went 3,000 over kilometers southwest towards Tarshish. Now, in those days, it would take a year to sail to Tarshish. And the, the, the ship fare for a, a trip like that would cost a small fortune. So this is not just Jonah getting on the MRT and you know going away for some quiet... No, no. He deliberately is defying the Lord. Now, it is interesting that 
till today, okay, till today, when the uh, Jewish people celebrate the Day of Atonement, part of their liturgy is to read the whole book of Jonah. And at the end of the reading of the book of Jonah, they all say, we are Jonah. Because they recognize that they have received the word of God, just like we have received the word of God. Now, it is not a word that is confusing or unclear. Just like Jonah, we have received clear instructions from the Lord. And so, just like the Jews who today at the Day of Atonement acknowledge we are Jonah, we also must acknowledge we have also received and we have also blatantly defied the Lord. Now, what does the Lord do? The Lord sends uh, a great storm and uh, Jonah is found sleeping in the bottom. And you see in verse 6, the captain goes and finds him and he says, Hey, wake up. How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your Lord. Okay, The captain, okay, this pagan captain is calling Jonah to get up and pray. And then the captain says, now take note of this word, maybe, maybe he will take notice of us. So that we will, okay, Jonah, get up. You know, we've been praying to our own gods, but you, you, you pray to your God. Maybe he will listen. Maybe he will take note. So the captain calls Jonah to pray, but notice that Jonah does not pray. Right? Nowhere in chapter 1 do we see Jonah praying, but later on we will see Jonah praying. Now the sailors force the confession out of Jonah, and in verse 9 Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, Jonah is not trying to evangelize uh, these pagan sailors. He's just telling them who he is and the God that he worships. But notice what ends up happening. You see, at the end of chapter 1, the sailors end up worshipping, offering sacrifices to Jonah's God, to Yahweh. How ironic! Because why was Jonah running away? He was running away because he did not want to witness to the pagan Ninevites. And so he was running away, gotting on this ship and running away. But as a result of his defiance, he ends up pointing, giving knowledge to the true God who exists. And the pagan sailors end up worshipping this God. Now, don't miss this. One of the major themes of this book is that God is sovereign. Even though we may run away, even though we may defy blatantly, but His purposes are not even threatened. His purposes will be accomplished. Now, the the, the sailors find out that it was uh, because Jonah was being disobedient. And then in verse 11, they ask, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And then Jonah says, verse 12, pick me up, throw me in. Now for many years I had imagined that, okay, Jonah is thinking, okay, you know, God sent this storm, he's judging me. You know, we could all stay on the boat and we'll all die, but why let all these innocent people die? No, just just let me die. You know, you all don't have to die. Now for many years I thought Jonah was being altruistic. Okay, but... I've come to see instead 
that what's really at the heart of Jonah saying, throw me overboard, is because he's still so blatantly defiant that he would say, no, no, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than obey God's will. Because he could easily have said, hey, the sailors, what should we do? What should we do? If Jonah was repentant at all, he would have said, okay, just turn the boat around. Okay, turn the boat around, head back to Joppa because I know I need to go to Nineveh. If Jonah had said that, the storm would have come down and there would have been a magnificent wind to blow the ship back to Joppa. But no, Jonah would rather die than obey God. And so they end up throwing him overboard and uh, God sends a great fish. Great fish that eats Jonah and Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights and in the belly of the fish, he prays this prayer which was uh, read so well by Caris. Huh? Um, it, is, it is an acknowledgement prayer. Jonah is acknowledging what God has done for him in the belly of this fish. Now you see, the theme of this prayer is that God hears and God answers. We see that in verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Okay, so this is one of the major themes of this prayer that that God hears our prayer and God answers our cries for help. But notice, what is it that has forced Jonah to pray? Because remember back on the boat, even when the pagan captain said, pray, pray, call to your God, he didn't pray. Well, he tells us in verse 2, in my distress. It was as a result of the distress, as a result of being thrown overboard as a result of being brought to the very edge of death. That at that point, Jonah surrenders and ends up praying. So you see the storm that God sent, that he, you know, ended in Jonah being thrown overboard. The, the storm was not just punishment on Jonah for being blatantly defiant. The storm was also God intervening. It wasn't just punishment. The storm was also God intervening, intervening into Jonah to save Jonah from his blatant defiance. And it worked because the storm brought Jonah to his senses and in the belly of the fish, he prays. He cries out to God. Now, we don't have time to go through all the details in this uh, prayer of Jonah. But, we might ask, what are we supposed to learn from this prayer? Well, definitely we learn about the grace of God. Because this prophet, this man of God, I mean, look how he compares against pagan sailors. Pagan sailors who know how to cry out to God. But this man of God who supposedly knows God is so defiant, so stubborn. But yet, in the grace of God, God still delivers him. Yes, we, we are meant to learn that. And we are meant to learn as well, just as we saw an example of the pagan sailors, the pagan sailors who turn to God and find deliverance. 
So now we have another example of this defiant man turning to God and likewise finding mercy. But I think the third thing that we're supposed to learn is that we learn not so much a model example. Okay, we don't learn so much a model example of how we should behave. Rather, I think here, Jonah's prayer captures a picture of how we often do behave. Okay, so it's not a, an example that we should follow. But rather, the prayer captures a picture of how we often behave. Because you see, in Jonah's prayer, there's so much theology. He knows so much knowledge about God. He, he prays and he says the right thing. But so often the things that he says about God, while true, he finds it easy to apply in his own desperate situation. But finds it hard to apply outside of himself, as we will see. So at the end, Jonah is vomited out of the fish. And in chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes a second time. And this time, Jonah obeys. Now notice in verse 2, again, the Lord says, Go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, the first time, in what way was it great? It was great because it was great in its wickedness. But this time... I think the sense of why it's great is captured in verse 3. Because we are told Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. It's great in its importance, in its size, in its um, yeah, how, how great a city it was. And so Jonah goes a day's journey into the city and he proclaims, now what is just five words in the Hebrew? Okay, this is the gist of the message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the amazing thing is, okay, what's amazing in the book of Jonah, like people find it difficult to believe, right? Hi-ya, how can the fish swallow the man and he stay inside three days and three nights without being you know, digested? That's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is at the preaching of Jonah. This wicked and violent people believe and repent. And we are told in, the, in, the, in chapter 3, uh, the nature of their repentance. Now again, we don't have time to go into this. Um, but it is genuine repentance. And I want to draw your attention to one word that the king says in verse 9. Okay, So they, the king commands all the people, including the cattle, all the animals, to repent. And he says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And then verse 9, who knows? You see, the king is not, you know, there's no, he knows there's no guarantee. He knows there's no certainty. Okay, no, no, there's a formula. Okay, I repent, God will forgive. No, he's not thinking that at all. But he knows in the light of this judgment that's come, the only thing to do is to repent. And so he's holding on to some hope, a sliver of hope. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And the amazing thing in the book of Jonah is that God does. He does relent. He does hold back his anger and not bring on them the destruction. And so this brings us to chapter 4. 
where we see Jonah in a great rage. Follow with me as I read chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So this, we are told now from Jonah's mouth, why he ran away, because he had some inkling. Yeah, this God is gracious. He might actually forgive the Ninevites and he doesn't want that to happen because the Ninevites to Jonah, such a wicked people, such a violent people, so undeserving of grace. And then in uh, verse 3, Jonah says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then God says, Is it right for you to be angry? And the way the question is phrased is, is, is to get across the point, Jonah, are you evaluating things correctly? Do you have a right handle on the situation? Now, uh, verse 5, you've got to take my word for it. But verse 5 onwards actually happened chronologically earlier than verses 1 to 4. Okay? Now, you can come and talk to me. I don't have time to tell you all about it. <clears throat> but you see, after he declares his five words of judgment, Jonah goes out because he gives them 40 days. So he declares and so he goes and waits. And presumably he's waiting expecting to see at the end of 40 days the fireworks happening. Okay, God sending the judgment. That's why he's going out and waiting. So verses 1 to 4 actually happen after, when Jonah realizes, ah, God has forgiven. Okay, so verse 5 onwards chronologically earlier. And we are told this, uh, why this happens, I'll tell you later. But you see, Jonah goes out, and in this few verses, there's a repeated pattern. God appoints. God appoints. God appoints. Okay, so the first thing that God appoints, verse 6, God provided a leafy plant. Now, what was Jonah's reaction to the plant? Well, we are told, Jonah was very happy about the plant. You see that, verse 6? Now, the second thing, verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God appointed. God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Okay, so this is the second pattern. But what's missing from this pattern? Jonah's reaction. Okay, verse 6, God appointed the plant. Jonah's reaction, was very happy about it because it provided shade. Okay, now these few days so hot Singapore, we know, uh, we know, okay, we're very happy about the plant. But second thing that God appoints, what's Jonah's reaction? We're not told. Now the third pattern is uh, verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. Now, what was Jonah's reaction? He wanted to die. Ah, God, so hot! God, just take my life and I can't think anymore. I'm so hot. Now, why was Jonah's reaction to the second thing that God appointed, why was it not captured for us there? Because it's captured for us later. So verse 9 God asked Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And then Jonah says, it is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And then verse 10, 
you have been concerned about this plant. The word there is Jonah had a great compassion. Jonah had a great pity for the plant when it died. So what was Jonah's reaction when God sent the second thing, which was the worm and the plant died? Jonah's reaction, why was it not put there in verse uh, 8? Because the writer wants to capture it for us here in verse 10. Jonah, you had this great reaction when the plant withered, when the plant died. Even though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died. It was just a plant that lasted one night, one day. And you had so much feeling, so much pity on this plant. And it all is meant to set us up for what God says in verse 11, which is his last word in this book. And should I not have concern? Same word. Should I not have pity? Should I not have compassion for the great city of Nineveh? Now, in what way was it great? First time, God said it was great, great in his wickedness. Second time, God said it was great, great in his stature, great in his size. But now, he says this great city, in what way is it great? It's great because there are more than 120,000 people there who do not know their left hand from their right hand. And many cattle. It's great because of the people that I've created there. So you see, the, the, the book of Jonah reveals the heart of God. That this is a God that's revealed for us in the New Testament, a God who is not willing that any should perish. That this is the God who in the New Testament sends His Son. And the, what the Son has done. You see, the, the, the pagan captain, he says, maybe... God will forgive. Cap, the, 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 the king, who knows? God may relent. But you see, at the coming of Jesus and what Jesus has done, there is now no more maybe, there is now no more who knows. Because of what Jesus has done, there is certainty, there is guarantee that anyone who turns to God will find deliverance, will find mercy. And for us who are his people who have experienced this mercy, doesn't the story of Jonah condemn us? Because like Jonah, we are so often more concerned, not about plan, but we are more concerned about our careers. We're more concerned about you know, our reputation. We're more concerned about you know, a standard of living or, or comfort. But God asks, should I not be concerned and Pastor David was giving us figures should I not be concerned about the many who are rushing headlong into hell now the we're not told in the book of Jonah how Jonah responded but that's not important because what's important is how you and I will respond May God help us too.